Welcome, and here, here. This is Here, Here, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my fiction story, What There Is to Be Done. I'm excited to share this with you one chapter at a time. If you're interested in getting your hands on a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. If you're interested in reaching out, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan, or drop an email to dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. All right, you hit play, so it's time to hear here. If you're driving or running or working, I'm glad to be along with you. Maybe grab a drink later? If you're somewhere safe, raise a glass and toast a blessing to our Catholic schools, our students and teachers, and our imperfect but faithful endeavor to teach the faith. I'll join you. Hear, hear. Cheers and enjoy. March brought the end of the third quarter for students and turned the calendar one page closer to AP tests for the APUSH kids and so many others. Additionally, the third month of the new calendar year was the third visit for Teresa to her new spiritual director. It was something Teresa had thought about for a long time. She had seen a spiritual director briefly in college. The power of suggestion from being around friends who did it helped grease the skids, but it just didn't do a lot for her. She didn't love her director back then, but Teresa also felt like she didn't have the best attitude. It had seemed like an intriguing thing to do back then, but when it didn't click, she let it go. After her December conversation with John, she had found a gentle peace about the tensions around her discernment. She was feeling unafraid and less anxious after swimming around in the deep end of discernment and having a loving laugh with her husband to cap it off. She wanted to retain that peace and move forward in prayer as she weighed the aspirations for her career and work, as well as for her marriage and family. Teresa saw a path forward where greater peace and joy about how to approach her evolving career would dispose her better to physically and emotionally reflect upon and strive for the new plunge into parenthood. To try to firm that up and build on it, Teresa pursued spiritual direction. Funnily enough, a good friend at school and a priest at their parish had independently recommended the same person, a layman who went by the nickname Duke. He was sort of a Catholic mutt who had been to a Jesuit high school, a university run by a smaller, lesser-known religious community, a secular grad school, and in all sorts of parishes and communities in between. He was a husband and dad with a happy marriage and crazy family. At first, Teresa wondered if she might be better seeing a precious old nun or a more stodgy and strict priest. But for whatever reasons, Duke and her clicked from the get-go of their first session, and Teresa was happy to go back in February. Leading up to their second session, Duke had challenged her to pay attention to moments and collect the ones that affirm the draw toward this admin role, as well as moments that might be pointing her away from it. In reviewing some of the emotions of her micro-interactions with students and colleagues, and also zooming out to the lasting peace and balance in her week-to-week physical and emotional mood, their conversation suggested that this might be the right thing to pursue. So for the third session, Duke tossed out a new idea. Immerse yourself in the two possible paths. Stay focused on the job. Continue to diligently teach and cover your responsibilities, but approach everything for one week as if you've pursued and been offered the promotion and title switch and act as if you're taking it. Then, for the following week, act as if you've decided to put that path aside and simply remain in your current setup. As best as she could, Teresa brought this imagined mindset into her work for two weeks, dedicating a week to each of the immersions. Now, it was time to bring her findings to Duke.
On a Wednesday afternoon, Teresa jetted straight out of school. She had scheduled a 4.30 p.m. meeting with Duke, so she had managed to work ahead on Monday and Tuesday to stay on top of her planning and grading and to knock out some work early on Wednesday that let her carve out this time for a good hour-long chat. Teresa rolled up to Duke's parish, where he used a hospitality lounge connected to the rectory to see spiritual directees. Teresa buzzed the door, entered and waved to the receptionist, and made her way to the meeting room. When she walked in, Duke was sitting back in an easy chair, hammering away on a text across from the empty chair where she set her stuff to get settled. Just checking in on the girls, Duke said as he finished a text to his oldest child, his son who kept the peace among the kids while all of them waited for their parents to come home from work. What's up? Duke blurted flatly as he glanced up at her. If you didn't know him, you might sometimes wonder what sort of indifference or rudeness was behind the affect. After you knew him just a bit, you found Duke was just that relaxed, laid back, and friendly, until conversations and co-conspiring enlarged his smile and added some caginess to his voice. Joanne has been spreading the word, Teresa started, bringing up the person who was about to vacate the job she might pursue. It doesn't seem all that long ago that she just casually dropped the retirement news on me. But that was three months ago. Three months ago, too, that John and I got going on all this and got me moving into greater peace. Man. Teresa took a breath. Spiritual direction was hitting her at just the right time. Teresa was more mature and self-confident than in college. Adult life had given her discernment some concrete expression in her career and her marriage. Her professional competency drew out a larger amount of the confidence that sometimes hid beneath the surface. Her husband's steady love and comfortable presence reassured her and showed her beyond most doubt that she was loving and lovable. And having to make adult, independent decisions to work at a Catholic school, to find a parish and register and belong, and to go to church and maintain some prayer life all brought a realness and newness to her and her faith. So now, here, sitting across from Duke, it felt a bit wild and new to have such candid, comprehensive conversations. Yet, it was a natural and comfortable extension of who she was becoming. Joanne had a formal meeting with our principal to officially share that she would retire at the end of the year. She had talked to enough faculty and staff that word had probably reached her, but now she definitely knows and definitely has to figure out what to do. Will she try to promote internally? Will she draw up a job posting to share with contacts? Will she do a full public posting? Will she restructure things and change or eliminate the position? I mean, Catholic schools have to adjust and adapt and sometimes totally change positions to fit people instead of rigidly sticking to a set structure. Duke was smiling, smirking, even laughing a bit. Teresa noticed and tapped the brakes on her own before Duke had to intervene. After two plus meetings, they had enough of a rapport that she knew she had gotten ahead of herself and diverted from a conversation she was excited to explore. Okay, I know, I know, Teresa admitted. But still, shut up, she added. Sort of the way a sister puts a brother back under her boot. Did you try immersing, Duke asked? I did. How did it go? Teresa raised her eyebrows and tilted her head. She echoed back a sort of a smile and smirk, giving an initial indication that Duke was onto something to offer this exercise as a way to further her discernment. I was thinking I'd focus on the pros and cons and the emotions and feel of it, Teresa said, letting her grin recede back to a more straight-faced delivery. Let's do it, Duke said. I spent the first week thinking about remaining a full-load teacher, and it was surprising. I thought, isn't this sort of what I spend every week thinking? Yes and no. Taking an intentional, immersive mindset busted me out of that. I wouldn't say I sleepwalk through teaching. Each year is different, new students, new loads, new adjustments to teaching plans, etc. 
but you can certainly get in a static mindset of thinking you'll teach for decades and then retire. It's not that you need to constantly be thinking of your next move. You don't have to be thinking about another master's degree or a move to a new school or what have you, but it woke me up a bit to having some intentionality toward actively being a teacher. So what's the feeling there? What's God inviting you to, Duke replied. It makes me feel fresh. It makes me want to pay closer attention and see all the good things and the bad that are already there. It makes me want to be more aware of the movements of the Spirit in my teaching, in my students, in my classroom. Okay, let's hang on to that. Tell me more about week one. I felt comfortable. It didn't feel scary to think about doing this teaching load and having these students year after year. It didn't feel stagnant or like a punt. It felt natural. It felt like something I have gifts and passions for. Gifts and passions I can use for good reasons to work with these students, Teresa said. I started to wonder if the mindset of really immersing in being a teacher would make me feel more like I was just a teacher, and that's not where this went. This is some good internal interior stuff. What about outward, toward the students, toward your broader life, for your husband and family? Duke had learned that Teresa wanted some challenge, some prodding. She wasn't interested in just talking around stuff. Some people see massage therapists for superficial treatments that feel sort of nice but stop short of treating underlying issues. Others visit therapists to get muscle knots loosened and deep tissue massaged. For his spiritual direction for Teresa, Duke did try his best to stop her from being too transactional or businesslike, but he understood that the greatest grace for her was in an active, critical, prayerful review of her reflections. Maybe it's being on the younger end of the faculty, but I feel like my students, in whatever teenage incomplete understanding, can see a growth mindset in me. I get the feeling that they struggle with some of the older teachers who seem like they're teaching the same way they did decades ago. But I get the impression from them that the way I flexibly use technology, current events and considerations, and mix rigid structure and more free discussion give them different access points. I know that I want to keep building a good foundation to my curriculum and planning, but I also won't ever let myself be a copy-paster who just recycles my stuff year after year. Teresa was definitely a bit proud, though she wondered if she was too presumptuous. I will always wish I reached more students more fully, but it feels like we really get somewhere together, and I do relish that, she finished. Duke again saw where the comparisons and contrasts might come up with the potential of pivoting to a more administrative role, but he knew they needed to immerse in one week's of imagining at a time. Good, so it sounds like you can easily imagine doing that for a while, indefinitely or what have you, Duke replied. As he thought about how to follow up, Teresa jumped back in. Then I spent the mornings and evenings doing this immersive thinking too, and I have to say that this was the part that felt so right. I try not to be too much of a control freak, but I also know that the better I plan and manage my time, the more I can keep sane and minimize unnecessary stress. So having a week to really focus on that and think about it, I feel strongly about the way that my personality and that approach helped me stay balanced, healthy, present, Teresa declared. And I can't crawl into John's mind, but even though he'd always be diplomatic and supportive, I feel like he appreciates when I keep a handle on things. He's not afraid to receive my vents after work or to talk me through frustrations with students or parents or coworkers, but it's best when he doesn't have to do it every day to keep me from breaking down. That's legit. I hear fresh, aware, natural, comfortable, competent, effective, peaceful, balanced. It all sounds like a lot of good, Duke calmly summarized. But you know as well as I do that we often, Teresa cut in, often are discerning between two goods, and that's what makes it hard. Duke had stopped speaking when he realized she was already there before him.
we'll get back to the book shortly. But first, for the believer who loves terse, reductionist theology delivered in abrupt snippets, there's Bumper Sticker Theology Bumper Stickers, the mostly unhelpful and often pastorally problematic phrases now available to adhere to your car. Check out the new line, out now. Everything happens for a reason. God gives the toughest battles to the strongest soldiers. And just offer it up. When drive-by mini-conversations that barely leave space for another person to respond, and pre-filled greeting cards with no personal thoughts aren't enough, now there's bumper sticker theology bumper stickers. Ugh. I'm not on Instagram, and I'm a selective poster and moderate lurker on Facebook, where I share the Restless Heart blog posts. But I'm most active on Twitter, where I actually really enjoy the Catholic presence of many thoughtful and faithful people. I want to recommend a few of my favorite follows to you here. This week, I invite you to follow Robert Christian. Robert tweets at RGC3, RGC and the number three. Robert has studied politics extensively and brings his education and expertise to bear on the news. He comes at things from an unapologetically Catholic point of view and is an insightful analyst and commentator on contemporary issues, particularly in striving to apply a consistent ethic of life principle in all matters. Robert edits the Millennial Journal and has written for several outlets. Find more in his bio on Twitter at RGC3, RGC the number three. So, week two, also a good, what emotions? Let's do it, Duke continued. Also a good, Teresa confirmed, nodding with some eyebrow raise added on. Also a good, she repeated. Sort of convincingly, but tinged with uncertainty. Teresa leaned over and grabbed her travel mug to have a sip of water and assemble her thoughts. I sort of imagined that week as being like my last week of teaching, but almost right away I thought, I could always go back to teaching. It's not like teaching is something you leave and can never come back to again. I thought also of teachers who came to education as sort of a second career or a lane change later on in life, and many of them are frankly lovely. I could do admin work for a few years or even a few decades, and I could always flip back to just teaching. I started to wonder if I'd be reticent to step down or step back or if it'd be too hard to shift, Teresa said, as she felt a bit of a skeptical glance from Duke. But, she continued, I realized that the best administrators are the ones who were teachers and who remember well what it's like to be teachers. They're more grounded, more relatable, more humble, and I feel like that same concept can cut both ways for someone who might decide to come back to the classroom. Lessons learned in an admin role could certainly translate to a different appreciation for your supervisors, to a different approach to managing parents and coworker relationships, and maybe even have positive effects on re-engaging with students in the classroom, too. Nice, Duke nodded. What about the emotions? What were you feeling? Let's not dig so deep into the hypotheticals that we lose your heart. For sure, Teresa agreed. I mean, my first feeling was intrigue. Before I even worried about whether I might miss teaching or feel too disconnected from what I first loved, I just felt curious and eager. Before I even got to wondering if I might feel overwhelmed by the new role, before thinking about the anxieties of chewing into a new slate of challenges, I just felt fired up, Teresa said, even a little excited just as she restated it. I thought about how it might be to say goodbye to my APUSH students, to tell them that I wouldn't be in the classroom anymore, and it just felt disingenuous and overdramatic. I imagine their responses. So you're still working here, and you're still working with more clubs? Okay, yeah, makes sense. I think a few students who seem to connect well with me and my way of managing the class might be more upset. 
but I've always tried to do more than just administer classes. Being with the kids before and after school and at the special events and performances, that's where I've connected with so many of them and found great ways to be a mentor and advocate. When I thought about that pivot, I imagine many of the students would be pretty surprised, almost expecting something like that would have happened at some point. Teresa took a pause, and in that beat, her eyes got a little wide. She leaned back a little more comfortably. It didn't feel scary. It felt natural. It felt exciting. And for you and John, for work, home, life balances, for a family life, Duke wondered to her. Woo, it would be tough. It would be tough, Teresa admitted. I mean, we talked about this plenty, and I never felt more peaceful than when I acknowledged the ways work could stress me out, shared it honestly, and laughed with him. My body feels better, and my mindset is so solid and steady. Could I carry that through into this new role? Or would it get destabilized and ripped apart by all the transition and new normals? That's where the feelings change. Let's get more into prayer then, Duke replied. His role as spiritual director was, ultimately, not to be a therapist or a venting partner or an inactive listener. His place was to listen critically and place the movements Teresa was experiencing into deeper, more intentional prayer. When you would talk about better baselines of peace and evenness, it seemed like it came from fresh prayer. Prayer at Mass, prayer when you go to sleep, prayerful, faithful conversations with John. Did you bring prayer into the immersion? For sure. One Sunday Mass each week, obviously. They both felt right. Not sure how to lean between two goods there. When I'd talk with John and we'd sort of play it out, things felt pretty right. It's when I would go to sleep each night that I'd struggle. And there's definitely the fine line between tiredness and sleep deprivation and like waking dreams slash pre-sleep haze versus the clear-headed, quiet environment, late-night opportunity to think and pray peacefully, Teresa explained. Can we talk through that more? Let's do it, Duke responded. So like, take during the week, imagining that I'd continue teaching. I'd get to the end of a day, and I'd have the usual feelings and thoughts. It was a little different to have the immersive intentionality of actively thinking that I'd continue with this as a specific choice versus something else but the general mental narrative didn't change. Was I too harsh when I disciplined that student who took his phone out? Should I have let that F-bomb I heard that girl say slide? Did I blow off that coworker's pop-in to chat too quickly? Was my email reply to that parent too diplomatic, not direct enough? They were the usual kernels of self-doubt, just from trying to be as diligent and compassionately present to others as I can, trying to be kind but not glossing over the realities and accountability I need to convey. It didn't feel like approaching these self-reflections changed at all with the mindset of continuing to teach for many years to come, Teresa explained. So the second week was different then, Duke wondered? It was, Teresa conceded. It was. Her tone switched. Some of her self-confidence gave way to self-doubt. Duke was pretty unflappable and consistent. He knew full well not to react too strongly as he talked directees through their reflections. Duke had cultivated a pretty solid poker face. He retained his comfortable posture and continued to listen calmly. I'd get to the end of the night, and those retrospective thoughts were less about the zoomed-in moments and became more about these large-scale wonderings. Like, when I'd think about disciplining a student or not, I'd pretty quickly jump to some pretty big questions. What if she was an officer in a club? What if she was the lead in a play? What's the line between a detention and social probation, or the loss of more privileges? Would I be accountable for establishing larger cultural norms in the school? Thinking of my coworkers changed too. Instead of wondering about how collegial, dialogical, supportive I am, I'm wondering bigger things. Would I be a good recruiter, empowerer, networker? Could I manage being more active and reaching out to colleagues? Could I retain authenticity or would I become a disingenuous schmooze 
And then I think of parents and the anxiety takes major root and grows quickly. Could I diffuse disputes over leadership positions? Could I be the advocate for moderators holding students accountable for their officer roles? Could I be accessible, friendly, a good face for the school, as well as fair, tough, and consistent? The thoughts swirling at the end of the night took on a totally different flavor, Teresa concluded. Duke let the end of her litany wash over him and assembled his response. First, I think it's very legit that you acknowledge what can happen late at night. I've seen some pretty dangerous, unhealthy stuff on retreats where young people start to get falsely vulnerable and less clear-headed just because they're tired and sort of slap-happy. It can cloud the honest, authentic self-exploration process you'd prefer to see. I think you're someone who manages self-care well, who is particular about bedtimes and wake-ups. I'd wager the vast majority of your evening reflections probably pretty lucid and actionable. Teresa seemed to agree with Duke's opening salvo, though she was a little rattled from restating some pretty fresh, raw anxiety. Duke continued. Next, emotions are real. We definitely don't want to wallow in them or inflate them to outsized proportions, but God speaks to us through our emotions. When we're faithful and present in prayer, the movements of our heart are moments of grace. Giving your emotions space to arise will reveal something of God and his invitation for you. It might mean that you have to dig down to the roots of those emotions to learn more about what they're saying, but we certainly shouldn't dismiss our emotions or try to cast them aside when discerning. In your case, again, my inclination would be that you're not prone to emotional outbursts, sudden breakdowns, or other extreme manifestations of emotion. You've shown me a pretty healthy middle ground between someone who denies their emotions and someone who basks or wallows in them. So again, I'd say... We should go here and check this out. It feels authentic and it feels like a place of grace, Duke stated. All right then, Duke, let's do it, Teresa chuckled, stealing Duke's sort of goofy but sort of endearing catchphrase. Have you ever read the screw tape letters, Duke asked Teresa. Is that the C.S. Lewis? No, I did read The Great Divorce, which was great, but I never made it to any of his other stuff. Can't go wrong. That one is great. Narnia is great. Mere Christianity will take you on a journey. But let's talk screw tape, Duke said. Screwtape is a demon. The whole book is a series of letters that Screwtape, a senior demon, writes to his nephew, Wormwood, who is an inexperienced demon in the field, influencing a human on Earth, who they call their patient. Teresa was following along with a slightly skeptical smirk and partially raised eyebrow, not because she doubted Duke, but because this first bit of the premise was more outlandish than she imagined a book of well-regarded spiritual reading might be. Duke explained, the whole book really challenges the reader because it's Lewis offering a critical reader a bit of a mind game. As Screwtape writes, he's describing the methods and practices good demons use to turn their patients from God, mostly focused on pointing their patients' attention towards things that will sow skepticism and doubt toward God and his love. The demons aren't puppeteering the humans, they're simply magnifying and emphasizing certain things in particular areas of their patients' lives. In many cases, that's all it takes to form a patient to move toward evil and away from good. Teresa was intrigued but couldn't resist the joke. So you think I'm turning evil? No, wait, you're a demon, Teresa cackled. I knew it. She just about started laughing as she finished her crappy jokes. She exhaled, kicked off her shoes to change to a more comfortable position on the easy chair, and nodded to indicate her joke time was finished. Duke just smiled wryly. So take these interactions that are fairly normal, typical, Take the massive differences you felt. If we take that at face value, the obvious thing might be to stick with teaching and decline to pursue this new path. But I'm wondering if you're screw taping yourself a little bit, like 
given your typically steady emotional state, is something outside of you jacking up these emotions? Is there a wormwood sort of effect that's nudging your glance towards certain things? Things that will skyrocket your anxiety when your typical glance would otherwise have been drawn to the exciting, intriguing, promising stuff? Teresa was buying it. I mean, it could be. You're right. I've felt everything from intrigue to excitement to curiosity about this, but never really anxiety and stress until doing this immersive thinking. This is also the first time I've imaginatively immersed myself in the idea, and especially the first time I've done it while also at work, so I felt like it was natural for that to yield some more significant emotion. For sure, for sure. So that's where we got to point you to fresh prayer. How do you acknowledge the emotion of this? How do you fairly ask the questions of yourself and your heart? How do you figure out what is noise and bad influence and what is honest grace and passion? Duke added. I think I need to find the bridge. How I can carry over the self-confidence I know well from years of studying education and years of teaching in the classroom into as yet unknown but potential situations directing student life. I think there are translations and transpositions that can happen. I also know teaching isn't stress and anxiety free. So I think the prayer has to take me towards seeing if that bridge or that lane change is there, or if it's just a bridge too far, Teresa said. I hate that we're at the end of our time and we haven't even talked about John or starting a family or the long-term Duke bemoaned. I don't want to downplay or dismiss those things, but I know stronger groundwork is laid here for you to keep circling those questions and bringing them to our conversations. Something that can help when you need a new way to think or start a reflection or reframe the questions is to think of it this way. If not you, who? If not now, when? It can oversimplify things potentially, or it can strip away the extra stuff when it's piled up too high. Put it in your back pocket. Teresa was content. The peace and balance she had mostly maintained was still there. Prayer and good conversation were usually what could anchor her if things got a little hairy. Before you go, I want to point you toward one thread of reflection that I think will really help, Duke went on. Pull out your Bible and give a call narrative a spin. Teresa was all ears and grabbed her phone to open a new note. She wanted to scribble down some of those closing thoughts and keep track of Duke's last suggestion here. There are these stories throughout scripture where someone is responding to a new invitation from God, and they're usually caught off guard and going through something, not unlike what you're facing. Here's the basics. They have some particular context in their life. God invites them to respond to a particular need. Every time, every person will hesitate or object. And in every case, God assures them he will be with them, Duke explained. Moses and Mary are probably the best known ones. I'd point you to Jeremiah, who thinks he's too young when his call comes in Jeremiah 1. Or to Ananias, who has to heal a freshly called Paul when God reaches out to him and renders him temporarily blind. I mean, I hope you don't end up blind or asked by God to heal people of physical blindness. Kind of a tall order. The briefly barefooted Teresa shifted forward in her chair and started to slide her shoes back on. Ha ha ha, she murmured as she got ready to leave. Thanks, Duke, she said, bringing her sarcasm back into the playful gratitude they had for each other. See you next month? Duke smiled and put out his hand for a fist bump. Let's do it. Well, that's all for this week. Remember, if you want to grab a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. Finally, thank you for listening. May God bless you and all our Catholic school communities.
And to you and your prayers and toasts, hear, hear. Guitar instrumentals on this podcast are improvised and performed by Jason Pham. This book and podcast are copyright Dan Masterton 2021, all rights reserved.